Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, There's More. This week in week eight, our big idea is the greatest gift you can give another human being is an introduction to the God who loves them. Our spiritual discipline that we're going to be unpacking is evangelism. We're going to spend some time in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. Enjoy and thanks for listening. It's going to be a fun day at Valley Point because I get the opportunity to talk about something that is very close to my heart. And part of my journey with this particular subject involves a lot of ups and downs. There are some good things that have happened and some things that haven't worked out so well. And we're going to talk about this as we continue our discussion on spiritual disciplines. And I absolutely love talking about what we get to talk about today. So I'm grateful that you're here. All summer long here at Valley Point, we've been thinking and talking about spiritual disciplines. And what we've been saying is that there's more to my friendship with God than just the Sunday thing, than just doing this. Now, this is vitally important to our friendship with God, and this is really valuable, and I'm so glad that you're here. But there's more than just this. And what helps us to experience a there's more kind of friendship with God are these spiritual disciplines. And so what we've been doing all summer long is just shining the light on some different disciplines and saying if we practice these, if we give our time to these, if we get disciplined and strong in these areas, then our friendship with God will go to a whole new level will truly be able to say that there's more. And so today I'm going to introduce the next spiritual discipline that we're going to talk about. And again, this is something that's really close to my heart. Before I tell you what that discipline is, though, I want to share with you some personal life stories that have kind of helped shape this particular discipline in my own life. So life event number one for me involves Ron and Don, and the invite that they gave to my father, named Frank Kohler, at work. Ron and Don were dynamic followers of Christ. They were really contagious in how they lived, and they just really did a good job of reaching out to other people, including my dad. And one day, that relationship resulted in Ron and Don inviting my dad to their church, It's interesting because my dad at the time was an irreligious kind of fellow. He really didn't have faith in his life. That just wasn't a big deal to him. But he really liked Ron and Don, and they did a wonderful job of building that relationship with him. So one day they extended that invitation. Hey, Frank, why don't you come with us to our church? I think you'd like it. You can bring your family, and we'll have a great time together. I remember my dad coming home from work saying... We've been invited to church, and I think I'd like for all of us to go. My mom was really happy about that because I think she had wanted to go to church, but my dad just wasn't interested, so we weren't really going at all. That Sunday rolled around, and we all got ready, and we went to church, and that simple invitation from Ron and Don completely changed the trajectory of my family's life, completely changed everything. In just a short amount of time, 
Both my mom and dad and my sister and I trusted in Jesus alone to save us. Again, our lives changed dramatically. And I often think about that invitation from Ron and Don. And what if they would have been too timid, too scared of what Frank may or may not say or do? What if they weren't willing to take the risk and give that invitation to my dad? What if that never happened? I think my life would be a lot different than what it is today, and I probably wouldn't be standing before you talking about this at all. And so that first life event is a really important thing to me. It's close to my heart. That invitation from Ron and Don completely changed our world. The second life event wasn't something that was so encouraging. It involved a good friend of mine named Mark. Mark and I were friends all through high school, and we did a lot together. And in 1992, I was two weeks away from graduating from college, and the whole world was out in front of me. And Tanya and I had been dating for a few years, and I knew that we were going to be getting engaged soon, and we were going to get married, and I was looking for that first pastor job, and just excited about getting that job, and about getting married, and we were young, and everything was way out in front of us. And I remember being very excited about that time. Two weeks before I graduated, on April 29th, 1992, I got a call from my mom, who said that my good friend Mark had been killed in an automobile accident. It's kind of a very discouraging time for me. Very aggravated with that, very upset, almost disappointed with God that I wasn't going to have my friend around anymore. He had just gotten married a year before, and his wife and Mark and I did all kinds of things together. And he called me about two months before he passed to say, Jackie and I are going to have our first child. I remember saying, congratulations, that's amazing. That's going to be a great time for you. And that would be a child he would never meet and never know. In addition to all the feelings of loss, I begin to carry around a lot of guilt associated with that. Mark really wasn't a religious person. I don't believe he had a faith dynamic in his life. And so I began to wonder personally, did I do enough? Did I say enough to Mark in the times that we had together? Did I initiate enough conversations with him where he would know that there was a God who loves him and cares about him and he could have that forever friendship with him? Did I do enough? Did I say enough? And Mark and I had talked several times and we had faith conversations and He knew what I was training for and what I wanted to do with my life, but yet I began to carry around a lot of guilt. Did I do enough with the time that I had? Because for Mark, life was very short. The third life event that has really shaped this particular discipline in my life was my very first job. After I walked through that tragic event, Tanya and I got married within a short time and I took my first job at Calvary Baptist Church in Highland, Indiana. And I was the student ministry pastor there, and I was really excited about that first job. And the church kind of gave me just a blank slate and said, you go out and you reach students, do whatever it takes. And the church was close to a high school, and they really wanted me to be 
in that high school, and I said, I'm up for that. That sounds like a wonderful thing. And so I began to think about strategies and different ways that we could reach students. So I got our core group together and said, all right, students, you're here, but you've got all kinds of friends who aren't here. And how can we reach them? How can we get them into this place so that we can talk to them? about how there is a God who has a wonderful plan for their lives and can change them as well. And let's just start the conversation and let God do a work in their lives so that they can begin their own spiritual journey. Let's do that. The students said, yeah, that sounds great. And so we began to think and plan and put stuff together. And we encouraged those students to bring their friends. And they did it. It was incredible. All kinds of kids started coming out, and we first met in a very small room, and eventually we outgrew that, and so we got to move into a larger room, and we filled that, and it was loud, and it was messy, and there were some old guard attenders in the church who didn't like the fact that we were messy, and we were loud, but I didn't care at all because we were having the time of our lives. It was amazing. And I even got a van and would go out and pick up different students and their friends, and we just packed that thing out, and we began to build a really dynamic student ministry where kids could invite their friends who could hear about Christ, and then those friends would invite their friends, and that thing happened. And I knew as I observed that and as I watched that, I wanted to give the rest of my life to that kind of thing. That was my calling, and this is what God had for me that I would be involved the rest of my life in building environments and spaces where people could come and be encouraged and then go out and bring their friends to come back and be encouraged as well and all the time introducing them to this great God who loves them and has a specific plan for their lives. I knew that was what God wanted for me and I wanted to give my life to doing that for guys like Frank Kohler who needed that invite and needed that kind of environment for students and for adults who desperately need to be introduced to a God who cares about them and does have a specific plan for their lives based on the tragic death of my friend and how life is very short. And so I started out on this journey of building these kinds of environments thinking about this. The greatest gift that you can give to another human being is an introduction to the God who loves them. And nothing beats that. Nothing's better than that. That's actually our big idea for today. The greatest gift, I really believe this, with everything inside of me, that the greatest gift you can give another human being is an introduction to the God who loves them. And nothing is better than that. So the spiritual discipline that we're going to unpack and think about today is the spiritual discipline of evangelism. Evangelism, which is basically telling other people about Jesus. And by the way, if you've trusted in Jesus alone to save you, if you've embraced his leadership and his forgiveness, this is not an option for us. We are commanded to be evangelists. We are commanded to share what Jesus has done for us. Because the greatest gift that you can give to another human being is an introduction to the God who loves them. Let's think about evangelism for a moment because it's kind of a strange word. Here's what it means. Evangelism is the announcement or the proclamation or the preaching of the gospel. The gospel is the good news. 
And here's the good news. Here's the gospel in a nutshell. It's that Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again, paying the price for our sins. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And evangelism is proclaiming, it's announcing, it's preaching that good news to other people. So evangelism is basically announcing something. It's interesting because the word evangelism is not necessarily just a spiritual word. You ever met somebody who's passionate about something? I have some friends who are passionate about being physically fit. And they just love that. And with their words and with their actions, they announce that being physically fit is valuable and important for living. That's what they announce. That's what they say with words and with actions. They are evangelists for being physically fit. Football season is here. Thank God, right? And whether you like high school football or college football or professional football, it is here. And there are a lot of people I know who are passionate about football. Like when you cut them open, they just bleed a certain school or a certain color or a certain city. That's just who they are. And with their words and with their actions, they announce football. They are evangelists for football. When we embrace Jesus as leader and forgiver of our lives, we are asked to be evangelists for the gospel or the good news. We are to announce this and to proclaim this. Brings up the question, with your life, what are you announcing? Think about that. As people observe you and what you say and then compare that to what you do, what is it that you're announcing with your life? So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to take out this discipline of, of evangelism and just kind of polish and dust it off a little bit and say, let's stop saying that nobody cares about this and nobody wants to hear about the gospel or the good news of Jesus because that simply isn't true. So let's stop saying that and let's stop making excuses about how we can keep this silent because we need to get it out there and we need to share this and let's do our best to help people know that they can have this kind of friendship with God. So let's kind of polish off the spiritual discipline of evangelism. But I also want to acknowledge the tension because it's a hard thing to do. Actually, it falls into the category of the two things you're never supposed to talk about with people, right? Politics and religion. Like, just don't go there. Don't talk to people about that. So we're not going to talk about either. We're not going to talk about politics because I don't think really anybody understands what's happening there anyway. And who really cares about religion? Honestly, who cares? What we want to talk about is how people can enjoy a forever friendship with God. We want to talk about a real relationship with God. That's where we're going. Paragraph that I want to unpack today is found in 1 Peter chapter 3. And so if you have a Bible or a smart device, I would encourage you to take that out and follow along as I read. I'd also ask you to take out your program and jot down some notes, fill in some blanks, because I want to be very practical today and just kind of help us all think about how we can get better at this particular spiritual discipline. 
So 1 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at a couple of verses here. It's written by a guy named Peter. Peter was a close follower of Jesus. He was with him and observed what he said and also observed what he did. And he's now writing some very interesting words to us. So here's what Peter says in verse 15. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. We're kind of mid-thought in our verse here, and that's why Peter starts it with the word instead. It's based on the words that came before this. We're not going to take time to read all of those words, but what Peter was basically saying is forget about those who may want to harm and hurt you. That's what we find in these earlier verses. Don't worry about that. Forget about it. Instead, try this. Instead, attempt this. Instead, do this. Worship Christ as Lord of your life. Now, there's some fascinating words that are found there. Let's kind of peel apart a couple of these words so that we really understand what's happening here. Do you see the word worship? Do you see that there? Nod your head a bit. Good. It means to render or to acknowledge or to be venerable. All of this is the language of respect. And so worship is basically about giving respect to someone, and we're talking about Christ here. So giving respect to Christ because that's actually what he deserves. So worship or respect Christ. When we say it's time to worship or let's stand and worship or let's have a night of worship, we're saying let's stand and give respect or let's have a night of respecting Christ based on what he's done for us. And so that's what's happening here. Worship Christ, respect Christ as Lord. You see that word? It means owner. And that's what Jesus wants from us. He wants to be the owner of our lives. He wants to be in control. He wants to be in charge. So you could basically read that phrase to say, respect Christ as the owner of your life. Forget about those who may want to harm you and hurt you. Respect Christ as the leader of your life, as the one who is in charge. And then it goes on to say, and get this, if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, let's pause there for a moment. Anybody ever asked you about your hope as a believer? Anybody ever asked you about that? Maybe they look at your life and they observe you walk through a storm or a trial or something really difficult and you walk through that, not in a perfect way, but you attempt to keep your eyes on Christ and so even in the middle of that storm, there's a level of hope and joy and trust in what God is doing in and through you and other people begin to observe that and they ask you about the hope that you have. How can you do what you're doing? How can you smile in the middle of that? How can you enjoy life when that's happening to you? That doesn't make sense. I don't get it. What is it about you that makes that possible? If you've ever been asked that, be very, very, very encouraged. Because that means you're respecting Christ as the leader of your life. And people are picking up on that. And they're observing that you're a bit different. And there is hope and joy even when things don't always go your way. That's a great thing. So if someone asks about your hope as a believer, 
And we want that. It says here, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. I think there's three questions that kind of jump right out of those two verses. And as I was studying this and observing it throughout the weeks prior to teaching, there were just a couple of things that just kept jumping out like, wow, is that what it's really saying? And so I began to ask these questions and apply them to what's happening here. And I think these questions are going to give us a great template for saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about the hope that I have, and I can do that in a gentle and respectful way. So let's ask these three questions. Number one, is hope evident in your life as a follower of Jesus? You think about yourself now, and you just consider what is happening in your life and what's happened or what is about to happen, if you know that. And is hope evident in your life as a follower of Jesus? That hope may be your smile. That hope may be the way you treat other people. That hope may be the way you lead with love at work. That hope may be how you walk through a very difficult or trying thing in life. That hope may be the way that you parent. Could be any number of things. But is hope evident in your life as a follower of Jesus? Question number two, are you ready to explain? If you're asked about that, are you ready to talk about the hope that is within you? Or do you kind of run from those situations or get really, really frightened? So are you ready to talk about that? Are you ready to give an answer? And then question number three, can you explain with gentleness and respect? Can you explain? Can you talk about that hope within you with gentleness and respect? Because ultimately, this is what Jesus did when he was here. It's the pattern. It's the example that he set. He didn't blow people away. He didn't smoke them between the eyes. He was very gentle and filled with respect and often started people on their own spiritual journey where they could consider his claims and come to their own conclusion. So am I ready to talk about the hope that is within me with gentleness and respect. Because 1 Peter 3 says, always be ready. Always be ready. Always with gentleness and respect. So here's what we're going to use the rest of our time to do, and I'm really excited about this. I just want to share some practical ways that we can respond to those three different questions and think about how we can be announcers of what God is doing in and through us. And I know this is difficult, and I know this is challenging, and I had a lot of great conversations with people after our 9.15 hour where they were saying, I know I need to do that, but it's so hard, and so I'm thankful that you've given me some tools, and this is what I want to do now. I want to help us all think about how we can announce and talk about that hope that is within us. So let's go back and review these questions And just give some thought here. So question number one, is hope evident in your life? I want to give you a tool that you can begin saying every single day that I believe will bring the hope level way up in your life and give you opportunities to talk about what God is doing in and for you. It's a prayer. You can find it in your program. Here's what it says. I'm surrendering my life to you to be a carrier of your message. I'm willing. If you use me, great. If not, that's okay. I'm willing. 
And I believe if you started saying this prayer as soon as you walk out of here and you begin your day with that tomorrow and the same thing on Tuesday and Wednesday, God, I want to be a carrier of your message. If you choose to use me, that's great. That'd be awesome. If not, that's okay. But I'm willing. I think if you did that, God just might answer that prayer. And you might have opportunity to talk about that hope. And just saying this prayer in and of itself begins to bring up the hope level in your own life. And you might even begin to look for some of these opportunities. So is hope evident in your life? If not, use this prayer. If it is, use this prayer. And begin to recite this this next week. I've started to do this. And I've been amazed at how much more aware I am of my interactions with my friends and the people around me who may not be very religious at all or may not be interested in God or in faith. And when I'm around them, I found myself to be a little more aware of the situation and what I'm saying and what I'm doing. And so I want to encourage you, start using this prayer. Question number two. Are you ready to explain? Are you ready? I want to give you two simple ways to explain and just talk with other people, with our words, actually share what God is doing in us. And I think these are very simple ways, and you can do both of them in less than 60 seconds. All right, so we don't have to win a debate. We don't have to know the entire Bible. We don't have to have the full conversation. We can simply share a few things And let God do the rest. He's big, he's powerful, he's able, and we can trust our friends and those we really care about to his care. But it does involve a little bit of effort on our part. And so here's just two things we can do that take less than 60 seconds. One of the things we can do is if we're asked about this hope and that thing kind of comes up, we can say, you know what? I don't understand it all. And I can't explain it all. I just can't. But I know I once was like this. Here's what I said. Here's what I was like. And since coming to Jesus, I'm not perfect by any means. But here's what's changed. Here's what's different in my life. So I once was like this, but now I am this. Again, if we keep that simple and we just talk about what's really happened to us, people are going to be interested in what you have to say because you have the relationship with them. And so we've kind of won the right to talk a little bit about this, and then we can just see what happens and take it from there. Let me give you some examples. I once was unhappy, just kind of a miserable person, and maybe that was you. And then perhaps you found Christ, and now there's a level of joy there that just makes life better. So I once was unhappy, but since trusting Jesus, not perfect, but there is some joy there that helps me navigate all of life. Or I once was angry, I was a really angry person, but since coming to Christ, I'm working on that, and I have found myself willing and able to forgive and kind of lift the load. Or I once was really bitter about some of the stuff that's happened in my life and how people have treated me and what's been done to me. But since coming to Christ, I'm not perfect, but I've been able to let go of some of that stuff and move forward with less bitterness in my life. Or I once was just drifting. I had no direction, no purpose in life at all. I didn't know top from bottom. I didn't know what I was doing. And then I met Christ. 
And I still have a lot of questions. I don't have it all figured out, but I have some direction for life now. He has brought purpose to living. Again, we don't have to say it all. We can keep it simple and go with, here's what I was. Here's what was happening before. Since coming to Christ, I'm now this. That's one way. And again, we can explain all of that in less than 60 seconds. Here's a second way. It involves two words. And I would encourage you to write this somewhere in your program because I have found these words to be very helpful as I have interacted with people and have had some faith conversations. So often, when I begin this process with people and I sense that they're open, I'll talk to them about, what do you think it means to be religious? Or how do you think you can get to heaven? And almost 100% of the time, almost, People will say, well, if you want to get to heaven, if you want to have this friendship with Christ, it is all about what you do. And if you do enough good stuff and you stack that up, God's going to be really happy with you and he'll smile at you and he'll let you into his heaven. If you do enough good stuff, if you kind of stack it up, it's the whole measurement thing. And boy, if I've done more good than bad... I'm good to go. I think the question is, how do you ever know if you've done enough? And most people can't answer that. So as I'm having this conversation, I'll write down the word do on a napkin or on a board or on a piece of paper, and then I'll say, Christ, God, and what he's done for us. It's not about what you do because there is no amount of good that you could ever do to earn perfection. It just can't happen So it's all about what God, through Jesus, has done for me. He paid the price. He died in my place. He said, trust in me alone. You don't have to add anything to that. Simply trust in my work. Make me your leader and forgiver based on what I have done, not what you can do. And I have found myself over and over again using these two words and explaining faith explaining my friendship with God in less than 60 seconds. And you get the opportunity to do that, and you just never know where God might take that. By the way, this information is not widely known. People are still trying to earn their way to God all of the time. I don't think it's widely known that there's nothing you can do if you simply trust. That's a whole lot easier. That's a better way. That's a better path. And that's what God has offered to us. And maybe you've never heard of that before. If you've never seen it explained that way. But this is what Valley Point Church is all about. It's about a relationship with God and how we can have a real dynamic friendship with Him based on what He's done for us. We can't earn it. There's no amount of good we can do. It's simply trusting in Jesus. Do versus done. And we get to talk about that and share and then let them begin their own spiritual journey. So those are just two simple ways that we can talk about the hope that is within us. We can keep it simple. Here's what's happened to me. Since trusting Christ, here's the change. Or do versus done. Question number three. Can you explain with gentleness and respect? And here's how you do that. And I think this is the key to having faith conversations with everyone. Here's how you can talk to people and answer the hope question with gentleness and respect. 
You simply check the door with your friend, with your family member. You you check the door. And if you're able to open that door with a faith conversation, then you walk through the door and you begin to talk and you begin to share. And when that door closes again, you respect the door. If there's a little bit of resistance there, you carefully navigate that and get a sense of where they might be and choose words that are gentle and respectful. If that door is shut and you're ready to go through that because you care about this individual and you want them to have that same friendship with God and you're really passionate about them and you want them to have that kind of relationship, but that door is shut tight, you respect the door. And that's answering the hope question with gentleness and respect. Tanya and I have a great relationship with a family that we've gotten to know in the four and a half years that we've lived here. And they are great friends. We hang out with them occasionally. We talk all of the time. And I don't really think that they are people of faith. Been able to talk a little bit, but not too much. I like these friends. I want them to know that God has a purpose for their lives and can help them with everything that they face. I want to invite them because that's how changed my dad's life. And life is short. We never know how much time that we have. So I'm ready to push down that door and say, hey, you need to trust in Jesus and he's a wonderful friend and you can have this relationship with him if you just simply trust and you guys need to do this and I care about you and I want this for you. But that wouldn't be gentle and it wouldn't be respectful. That door right now is shut. It's shut. And so as hard as it is and as difficult as it is for me, I'm choosing to respect the door. So check the door. Check the door. And if it's open, you can walk through that and you can try some of these things. And if it's closed, then you respect the door. I've got two takeaways for us today. So we kind of just assimilate this information about the spiritual discipline of evangelism. Here's the first takeaway. Begin your day with a prayer, okay? I want to encourage you for the next seven days, you just start your day with the prayer that is in your program. God, I want to be a carrier of your message. That's what I want. If you choose to use me, that's great. If not, it's okay. But I am so willing. I want to encourage you to start your day with that prayer and just watch what happens. Again, God might answer your prayer. So be ready. Be ready. Last week I talked to everybody about just reading some scripture as we talked about the spiritual discipline of time in scripture. And I'm so encouraged to have many conversations with all of you about how you were doing that. And I love when you report on how what we talk about on Sunday is having some level of impact in your lives. And a lot of people just said, we love that challenge. Read Psalm 119 throughout the week. And a lot of you did that. And I'm proud of you. I want to encourage you to take this challenge upon you. Think about this prayer as you start your day. Say it. And then here's the next step. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. And start checking some doors. With friends. With family. Take the risk. Don't be so intimidated that you do nothing at all. 
Think about how you want them to enjoy what you have. And just start checking some doors. And if that door is open, then you can walk through and you can say some things and have some faith conversations. If that door is not open, if that is shut, then respect the door. And I would encourage you to do this as well. There's a secret weapon in all of this. And it's really not a weapon. It's just another tool. But it's invite, invite, invite. Take advantage of the church and what that offers to people. Again, you might not be able to say everything, and that's fine. I know I can't say everything as well, but I love inviting people to this type of experience and this gathering and this environment where we talk about God's love and how everybody can enjoy that friendship. And when we invite, we're helping to open the door and begin people on a spiritual journey. So invite, invite, invite. Take full advantage of the empty chair next to you and let's fill this place and let's do this. Let's use the church to start conversations. Encourage you on your way out. Grab some invite cards and just give those things away. That's another way to kind of check the door and that's a wonderful tool for you. I think one of my favorite things on Sundays is just kind of standing out by the front and greeting people as they leave and even as they come in. And one of my favorite things is when I see someone standing close to me and they're kind of looking out the door. And I'll ask them, what are you doing? And and I know what they're doing, but I love to hear what they have to say. And I love their bright eyes and they're just wide awake and they are energized and thrilled. And they will always say, I've invited a friend today and I'm waiting for them to come and I can't wait for them to get here and you better be on and don't screw it up for me, Eric. (laughs) And no pressure with that. I'm like, all right, I'll do my best. I'll try, but make sure they get coffee. Maybe that'll help them out a little bit. And we want people to have a great experience when they come. And you know what? We need more and more and more people standing at the front, looking out, waiting for their friends. Imagine how freaky that might look. As you come in for the first time, there's all these people staring at you. But we need inviters. And inviting works, and it starts the process. So these two takeaways. Begin your day with a prayer, and then get ready. Just get ready. I believe God's going to answer that, and I can't wait to hear some of these stories about how people are checking the doors and having some conversations. Let me say a couple of things before I wrap this up, and that is for parents whose kids have taken a different path, and you've been trying to have some of these conversations with them, and family can be tough. I think we all understand that, and we all get this, and You raised your kids maybe a certain way, but now you see them kind of going way off in this direction. And maybe that's you, and you're worried about that, and you feel that pain, and you're scared to death about the path that they're taking and the life that they're living. Let me encourage you to do this. Entrust your kids to God's care. No matter how old they are, entrust your kids to God's care because He loves them more than what you do. As I say that, I'm saying it to myself. My oldest child is getting ready to go away to college for the first time, and that's frightening to me. So entrust your kids, because God loves them more than what we do. And as our kids are trying to figure out if their faith is their own, or if it's just given to them by a mom or a dad or by somebody else, we've got to give them space to let them figure that out, And we have to be available for their questions. And we've got to be okay with their questions too. 
So as our kids are trying to figure out their faith, and is it mine or is it something that's been given to me by somebody else, we've got to give them space to do that and be ready to answer and be okay with their questions. For those of you who are married to a non-Christ follower, and they just don't treasure the things that you treasure, and maybe that relationship is great and wonderful, there's no real tension there, but they're just not a follower of Jesus, and so they don't treasure the things that you treasure. Live a radiant life around them. Okay? Scripture talks about that. About living a radiant life, so that just rubs off on the people around us. And don't pull away. Don't pull away. And we do all of this. We do all of this. Because the greatest gift that we can give to another human being is an introduction to the God who loves them. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.